I don't want to just give you a history lesson, but I sort of want to give you his story and the lessons that we can get out of it. Because see, God is into telling stories. We wouldn't have a Bible, except that we have a Bible of stories of what God has done. And God himself is the one who said, tell the story. He had memorial stones set there at the Jordan River when they came across. It was not Joshua's idea. It was God who said, I want you to put memorial stones there so that in the future when they say, what do these stones mean? You're going to tell the story of what I have done. We believe that there's power in the telling. Say that with me. There's power in the telling. The book of Revelation says that Satan is defeated by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony and the fact that we love not our lives unto the death. You have a testimony. You have a story of what God has done in your life that no one could do but God. You didn't do it. God did it. You participated but God always is the initiator. For God so loved the world that He gave. We respond to His love. First John chapter 4 says that God is love, but it also says this, we love Him because He first loved us. Well, look at what the Lord has done through the years. It's an amazing thing. And I want to give you a little bit of that picture. A snapshot of some of the things that the Lord has done. For some of you, you're going to hear a story or two or a detail or two that you're going to... Some of you can tell a story almost as good as me. Some of you tell it better than me. You've added some details. I've, I've heard that story. But God wants that we tell the story. In fact, the nation of Israel, our Jewish friends, they have certain holy days that they didn't dream up but God said, I want you to have these holy days like Passover. And I want you to have this in your calendar so that every year you talk about and you remind yourself and you remind your children, you remind your grandchildren of what I've done. I see some grandparents out there, Gary, Gary and Susan, and got, new, got another one on the way. Congratulations. There's nothing like, listen, those of you who don't have have grandchildren, uh, well, I pray God will bless you with grandchildren. It is like the reward for letting your kids live with you for... <laughs> grandkids are amazing. And, and, and when you have grandkids, one of, the, one of my favorite things is to tell our grandchildren the story of what God has done in grandma and grandpa's life. And so that we keep telling that story of God's grace because everybody has a story. I look around this room and probably within this message, I'm going, to, I'm going to point out a few people in this room because I know their story. And listen, I'm going to say a few things to a few of you to stir something up inside of you because you have lost your story a little bit. You've left your story a little bit. You need to tell your story again because it keeps it alive. In fact, there was a servant in the Bible named Paul who told his spiritual son Timothy, he said, stir up the gift of God that is in you. And so there are times in our lives that we need to remind ourselves of the story. Let me tell you a little bit about our story, because within every story, there are defining moments. Say that with me, defining moments. Those are the highlights within your story. One of the, the story I want to tell with you today 
One of the points is, I'm going to start back in junior high school, okay? My life didn't start in junior high school, but in some ways it did. Because there was this cute little cheerleader named Kathy Gordon. Woo-wee! And she threw a paper wad at me. I was a basketball player. She was a cheerleader. I was a Hartford Bobcat. She used to cheer for me. Dave, Dave, he's my man. If he can't do it, no one can. She still does. Watch out now. No, that, that marriage seminar, that was a couple weeks ago. Let me, I'm, this was Sunday morning at Victory Christian Center. Let me, let me get back here. But, but, but she got my attention, and she has kept it now for all of these years. That was a significant moment. I graduated from high school in 1970, and right out of high school, I hired in on my 19th birthday at General Motors Lordstown. And so I started working at that plant. We went on strike just a few months later, and during that strike, I went to hear what I thought was a rock guitarist in Hartford, Ohio, by the name of Phil Kage, and I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, first time in my life, and I was born again. I gave him my heart. I gave him my life. I was born again there at the age of 19. And then, then, you know, life, life goes forward, and, and, you know, we were married, and, and now we got a child, and, and, and I want to bring you up to a point that some of you would know something about, and because I, I use the illustration of a can of corn. Say can of corn. That's a can of corn. Now, that, I'm glad it's a can of corn. Nobody's getting, like, lustfully hungry out there, like, oh, boy, I want that can of corn. No, you don't. But why a can of corn? Because here, here, this is a part of the story. And see, everything I talk about today is not just giving you a history lesson, but I'm speaking to you. Because see, God wants your yes. Some people think it's complicated, it's hard, it's difficult to figure out what does God want to do with my life. Because see, if you're truly born again, if you're not born again, it's different. But if you're truly born again, I'm talking about the fact that you've gone to a bloodstained cross on an empty tomb. And God has forgiven your every sin. You're a hell-deserving sinner, but He forgave every sin. He wrote your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you have eternal life living inside of you. If that has happened to you, you cannot dare live your life with you on your throne, with you in control. But if you've been truly born again, you say, God, use my life. And it was a Saturday morning in Levittsburg, Ohio, in our little Cape Cod house. And my wife was up the road doing some shopping. I held my little baby daughter Heather in my arms and I sat on a sofa that we had bought at the Goodwill store Salvation Army. See, that, that was cheap. It was a hand-me-down sofa. You see, I thought you worked at Lordstown. See, I've never believed in getting into debt. I've never believed that living above your means still don't. And so we, we bought a, a nice sofa and, and, and threw a, a throw over it. They call it a throw. That means you have a nasty sofa, but you got a, something nice to cover it. Okay, come on now. You say, why was that sofa so cheap? Well, because there was a leg of that sofa was missing, but the leg that was missing was the exact size, say it with me, with a can of corn. You can do a lot with a can of corn. I sat that Saturday morning, and here's what I was saying to my God, my Father. I'd only known Jesus for about a year and a half. I had not known the Lord a long time. I had never been to Sunday school in my life. I didn't grow up in church. First time I heard the gospel at the age of 19, I was born again. And I sat there that morning, and here's what I knew. I knew that I couldn't go to God and say, God, forgive my sins and, and give me eternal life, but I don't want to give anything back. 
I just want to be a taker, a taker, a taker, but you can't have any of me. No, I knew because I was, see, I was truly born again. I wasn't along for the ride. I was born again to the deepest part of my being, and I knew I owed God everything. I knew I was a hell-deserving sinner who had found the grace of God and the mercy of God. And that morning I said, Lord, use my life. Have you ever said that to him? Have you ever been simply said to God, use my life? If you haven't and you're born again, you need to say that every day. And you need to understand that morning when I held my little baby Heather in our arms, my arms, I wasn't saying God used my life to be a preacher. Are you serious? I was scared to death. I took a, just, just not that much, two years earlier than that, I took a failing grade as a senior in high school at Badger High School rather than giving an oral book report to 25 students in a psychology class. I was afraid to be in front of people. I wasn't asking God, God, make me a preacher, make me a bishop. See, some of you miss it. Some of you want, you're, you're asking God that you can preach in stadiums. Why don't you witness to your neighbor? I've never asked God to speak in stadiums. I've never asked God to be a bishop or a preacher. I just said, God, I owe you everything. I want you to use my life. I thought maybe it meant mowing the grass at church. I thought maybe it meant being an usher or being a deacon. Listen, if you think for a moment I was talking about being a preacher, no, I was talking about simply being a servant. There's no higher call than being a servant. Our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, washed feet. The feet of his disciples, fishermen's feet, he washed feet. You want to be used by God? Find some feet to wash. Find somebody sick who needs a friend. Somebody who is struggling, and you can be there for them. Well, that morning, with that can of corn holding up that sofa, I heard God speak to me one of the first times in my life. I heard four words from God. He simply said this, My son I will. He didn't tell me where, when, or how. He doesn't do that. I, I'm telling you, I've lived for this God for a few years now. Some of you want, you want the five-year plan. You're not going to probably get a five-minute plan. But you're going to get a faith plan. You're going to get a trust plan. Because God has intentionally set this up that we've got to depend upon Him. He said, my son, I will. Probably about a year, a year and a half later, God had me leave that good job at Lordstown. Made no sense. I was a married man. We had a house. I had two little kids. And, and God said, I want you to give this up. I've called you to ministry. And we stepped away from a good job. Didn't make sense. Any, any thinking person, you don't leave a good job. You said, but yeah, but you had a great position. They're paying you a lot of money. No, I was a youth pastor at a small church in Kinsman, Ohio, and they paid me zero. The preacher would get up front and say, you know, the Thomases are serving our church, and they're serving without pay. If you could bless them, in some weeks it was some tomatoes, other weeks it was $5. It didn't matter. What mattered is that this God who gave everything to us, we were giving our yes back to Him. That's all that mattered. See, some people see what we do now. 
Some people see what we do now and they say, oh, it must be nice. Listen, where were you in November of 1974? Where were you when I was on that job site paying and mixing mud and carrying block and carrying brick for nothing? And it was one of the greatest things ever. I'm not complaining, but what I'm saying is some people want to start at the top. Some people want a name. Some people want fame. No, you've got to be willing to start at the bottom and say, God, if this is all I ever do, I'll do it for you. I'll be the best at this there's ever been. Give God praise, would you please? And then there came a time where God said that season is over of being a youth pastor. And there was opportunities God put before us. I don't know if God put them or the devil put them, or, but they came. There was an opportunity that when we knew we were leaving there to go to Madrid, Spain, in a ministry called Youth, youth with a Mission, which we love, they asked us to come. There was a lady by the name of Cookie Rodriguez, a Puerto Rican lady who had been delivered from drugs, and we were in Chicago, and through many tears, she laid hands upon us, and she claimed us for new life for girls in Phoenix, Arizona. So we're praying, oh God, we know this season is over. But, we, but Lord, you've given us, is it Madrid? Is it Phoenix? Lord, where do you want us to go? And he said, Coitsville. Can I tell you, Madrid, Spain, Phoenix, Arizona, Coitsville's not, it's not right there somewhere. But God called us, and in June 25th, 1978, up the road as a 26-year-old couple with two little kids, we came into a little church of 46 people. That church had had five people for years, and they told me that on the agenda in the Assemblies of God in this area, every month on the agenda was, is this the month we close that church in Coitsville? It only has five people. They can't pay their bills, and nothing will ever grow in Coitsville. Coitsville, Coitsville, Coitsville. There's nothing there. No, nothing is ever going to happen there. But we gave God our yes. That's all we gave I've never been to Bible school. I've never been to seminary. I, I, I still don't know what I'm doing. I'm just being honest with you. I'm not a public speaker. I'm not pretty. I'm not polished. I'm not this. I'm not that. God doesn't care about any of that. God just wants your yes. God just wants your yes. And we came and we began from the very beginning to just do what God had called us to do. See, God had given us Scripture. I'm a word man. If I don't hear from God, I don't know what to do. I'm no good at some, what, what some committee said or what organization or what denomination said. I'm sorry, but I'm no good at that. I've got to hear from God. And I heard from God about that job at Lordstown, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. God had said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge God. He will direct your steps. See, we came to Coitsville not because it was a good opportunity. In the natural, it was a lousy opportunity. There were better opportunities, but God, but God, he said, come here. We came here. We came here having never pastored before. And can I tell you, in these 40 years, God has done far more than we ever imagined. You, you say, well, you, you must have had a vision or a plan or a five-year or a 10-year plan. No, we've always had a 
here's the plan that we've always had. I call it flashlight plan. It's a flashlight faith. It's all we've ever had. You say, you're stupid. I, I don't even argue with that. I don't. I am the least likely to succeed. And I mean that. I'm not being, I'm not talking about a false humility up front. I'm just telling you, I don't know what I'm doing. All that I know is to say yes to an amazing God. That's all that I know. But let me tell you something about these 40 years. We've never had the five-year, the 10-year, the 20-year plan. You say, how did eight campuses come about? You must have had a plan. No, had no plan. Didn't even know what a campus was. But see, there's something about a flashlight that gives you just a little bit of faith and a little bit of light. But if you walk in that little bit of light, suddenly there's more. And then you walk in that little bit of light, and suddenly there's more. See, some of you, you, you want God to light up your whole future. And you refuse to take a step into that little bit of light that He's shown you. Can I tell you, I've learned something about the ways of God. I don't know it all, sister, but I've learned some things about the ways of God. And the ways of God from the beginning have been way different than our ways. See, God has done exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. I can tell you, you're part of something called Victory Christian Center, one church, many locations, and there are not 46 people anymore up the road in a little building that held 100. Now there are eight campuses and some 3,200 people on an average Sunday are worshiping Jesus and giving God praise and giving God glory. People meeting Jesus every week. Not just here at Coitsville, but in New Wilmington and Newcastle and Columbiana and in Boardman and in Vianna and Liberty and Warren. We are one church. We're not, this is not the church. That we are a part of something that God has done for His glory, for His honor. It's not about me. It's not about my wife. It's about Him. It's about Him. Why am I saying this? Because there's, there's destiny in you. There's potential in you. Oh, you may not be a preacher, but I'm going to tell you, there's more in you than you think. If God can take a simple little David Thomas guy from a one-horse town of Hartford, Ohio, and, and, and use my life, he can use your life. Quit telling him he cannot. Quit defining to God Almighty what he can and cannot do. He simply wants your yes. Can you give him praise right now, please? He's worthy. He's worthy. See, we, we came here over 40 years ago not knowing what we've done, never, never pastoring before, but being observant to, to things that we saw. And, and we thought, could there be a church that would be healthy and growing and full of love? Could, could there be a church? See, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, 18, He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Could, could we pastor a church that is healthy, growing, and full of love, and in a church that, that Jesus himself is the builder, not me? Oh, we co-labor with him. But see, the moment that I take on the job of building the church, that it's my job to build the church, but then, then I've, I'm doing what he said he would be doing. He said, I will build my church. 
See, it's his church. It's not mine. It's not the Rivera's. It's not, it's not even Victory Christian, sir. That just is a tag we put on it. It's his church. He purchased it with his blood. We determined that we were going to fish where, when, and how Jesus would direct us. Why is that important? Well, because I'd, I'd, I had already experienced in ministry. I, I, I told you about we'd, we'd this great campaign at our previous church. I'm not faulting anyone. Everybody was doing this. But boy, they, they were giving away a 10-speed bicycle, which back in the day, out in the country, that was a big deal. And boy, Sunday school attendance got up. It, it doubled. Okay, and a young girl from Johnson, Ohio, she won a 10-speed bicycle because she brought so many to church. And you know what happened? The church doubled in attendance, but when she went out the door with that 10-speed bicycle, everybody who had come that caused the attendance to double, they followed that bicycle right out the door. In other words, church never grew. Stay with me now. See, gimmicks don't work. Oh, gimmicks can get attendance up, programs can do this, that, but that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And we, see, I'll just be honest with you, in over 40 years, we've never done a program. And we were faulted back in the day when we came here, if you didn't have a bus ministry, bless God, if you didn't have several buses lined up and going here and there and everywhere picking up everybody for church, you, you call yourself a Christian? You call yourself a church? You got to have that. But we felt God never said that to us because, see, we'd read this in Luke chapter 5, verse 4. When Jesus had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and we've caught nothing. Nevertheless, say that word, nevertheless, at your word I will let down the net. See, what Peter could have said to Jesus is, uh, no, no, no offense, Jesus, uh, but uh, you're a carpenter. You grew up in Joseph's home, you're a carpenter, you know how to work with wood. I'm a fisherman, professional. I own boats, I've got a team here, I, this is the way I make my living. Yeah, you need to stay in your lane, Jesus. He said, no, he said, nevertheless. Can I tell you, sometimes God will ask you to do things that do not seem to make a great deal of sense, but he's waiting for your yes. But I'd rather not toil all night long and produce nothing. I'd, I'd rather have one word from God that changes everything. Jesus being in the house. See, in Mark chapter 2, 1 and 2, and these are things that when we came here over 40 years ago, these are things God placed in our heart that have not changed. They are in the very foundation of Victory Christian Center. See, it says that Jesus entered into Capernaum after many days, and it was noised abroad. I love the way the King James puts it. it was, he was noised abroad that Jesus is in the house. And there was such a crowd, they couldn't even get the people in the door. That's when they had to take the paralyzed man up and let him down through the roof, and Jesus healed him. We said, what would it be like in Coatesville, Ohio, that if there was a church that the news got out, into Newcastle, into Youngstown, into Boardman, into Hubbard, in this whole region. What if the news got out that, I don't know if you heard, but over there at that place they call victory, Jesus is in the house. What if that were to happen? What if that were to, if, if this book is true, and it is, and we have enough gall, enough faith, 
to say, if God said it, I believe it, and I'm going to stand on it. We didn't have any money for advertising. Are you serious? We're in Coitsville, Ohio, a small church. The, the people that would tend to come were poor and needy. But God showed us if we would love the people that honestly, in many cases, nobody wanted, he would give us the people that everybody wanted. And we watched him do that. We watched a little church grow, and we'd go up the road. We built this blue building. We called it the blue building. Why? It was blue. <laughs> blue carpet, blue pews, blue walls. It was blue. That was after the orange building. Why'd you call it the orange building? You got it. Oh, you gift of discernment is flowing in the house. Built that building. It about killed us. My wife and I were worn out. We were tired. I was stressed out. It was... Ronald Reagan, wonderful president, had been elected, but they deregulated the banks, and a lot of the savings and loans were going under, and interest rates on that little building went up to 18%. It took more than two offerings to pay the mortgage. Remember that, Vicki? We had a stack of bills like that that we were crying out to God, God, help us. See, you think it's all been easy. I don't like to talk about the hard times a lot. I've seen preachers do that so much, and I don't like to do that. But you need to know, this didn't just happen. We didn't just get lucky. We fought hell for you. There's some of you got saved here. You re got reclaimed here. It didn't just happen. God is so good. And you say, well, how in the world did you have faith in Coitsville, Ohio? Well, here's, this might sound crazy to you, but one thought I had when people said, a church in Coitsville can never grow. There's nothing in Coitsville. It's never going to grow. And I said, wait a minute. Back in that day, there was one Handel's ice cream shop. One. It was in a bad part of Youngstown, down a one-way alley, and yet if you went during a blizzard, you'd stand in line to get your chocolate pecan ice cream. I'm telling the truth. Yeah, I'm getting a witness over here. I said, wait a minute. If, if Handel's ice cream can produce such good ice cream that people manage to find it, down a one-way alley in the bad part of Youngstown and stand in line in a desert fort, they'll find Coitsville if Jesus is in the house. Give him praise, would you? I told you it's not always been easy. That building program, that blue building, about killed me. I was about 29 years old, I think, and, and it was hard, really, really hard. We built a building that would seat around 300 people, and people thought we were crazy in Coitsville to build a building that would seat 300 people. 
And I remember when we finished that building program, I told God, listen to me, I, I told God and I told the people, I told the congregation, I said, if you ever build another building here, it'll be under another pastor because I am never building another building as your pastor. I meant it. I meant every word of it, didn't I, honey? Here's what happened. God set me up. <laughs> Don't you sit there and tell me God won't set. God is the master of the setup. He is Jehovah sneaky. You won't even know. You won't even know you're being set up until you're. Gotcha. Here's what happened. It was a Sunday night service. We used to pray around the altar on Sunday night a lot. And it was Sunday night service. And I'm just praying and squalling and bawling before God. And here's what the Lord said to me. He said, son, this building was brand new. Always pretty. Blue. Did I tell you it was blue? Not orange. Not teal. Not green. I could go through all the. It was blue. And so we're praying. And I felt God speak to my heart and say, son, you got this brand new building. Is it okay if I bring in a lot of children to this new building. Bring him in, please. You know, he knows how to get you. I'm telling you. He knows how to get you. I love kids. Bring him in. And then the Lord speaks to me and says, what if, what if they've got dirty hands and dirty feet and dirty noses? In other words, you're going to mess up how this pretty building. Oh, God, I don't care. We didn't build this building. The horses but building. Bring them in, Lord. Bring them in, please, Lord. Bring them in. I didn't see it coming. I, honest to God. Honest to God. I didn't see it coming. So then he knew he had me. He said, what if I bring in so many that you have to build? I'm telling you a true story. I thought, I rebuke you, devil. <laughs> he had me. Had me. I cannot, just on this property, after we bought the Sky High Drive-In Theater, that if they thought we were nuts up the road building for 300, we're buying the Sky High Drive-In Theater. Just on this property, we've had six building programs just here, let alone up the road, let alone eight campuses. We've got things going on at several campuses right now. What, what am I saying to you? I'm saying to you, and I want to give you scripture in 1 Corinthians 1, 25 through 31. See, when I made my first promise to God, I said, God, if you will use my life, I promise you, I will never ever touch your glory. I will never take credit for what you have done. I would rather die. I mean that. I'd rather just have a heart attack, a stroke, lightning strike me, whatever. I'd rather die than to ever begin to think that it was me or my wife or, or whatever. No. God uses people. I understand that. I'm not falling into some kind of false humility. 
He uses people. He's used me. He's used my wife. He's used many. He's used many of you as prayer warriors, and you've given sacrificially all of that, but he gets the glory. But here's what it says in 1 Corinthians. It says it takes the weak things of the world to confound the wise. Can I tell you, and some of you in this room, including the amen over here to my left, some of you know I've had more preachers mad at me in this area because of Victory's growth. They can, I know you can't imagine this. They don't like me. I know that's hard to imagine. I know. But, but you know what? God takes the unlikely. I'm the most unlikely dude to be bishop. And some of you come up and you... You call me pastor, you oh, I'm sorry, like you cussed. I'm a pastor. You can call me pastor. Some, some of you do that. Uh, a pastor, oh, 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 I'm sorry. Just like you said some bad word. It's okay. So I round the bend towards home. See, we were determined to make the main thing the main thing. Pastor Juan talked about it. When Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? He didn't have to Google it. He didn't have to fast and pray. He immediately said, there's nothing more important to God than this. What is it? That you love Him. With all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, we say that's loving God. How? Completely. He said the second is like it. It's that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. We love people unconditionally. You don't have to earn love. Love is a gift that you give. And we love life enthusiastically. See, that's in our culture. That is who we are. We were determined to keep it simple because Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven three, he said, but I fear less somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Can I tell you in 40 years, Pastor Isaiah, there's been so many things come and go, so many fads, so many, you know, things you're supposed to jump on this bandwagon or that bandwagon. We don't care about that. We just, wanna, we just want to preach Jesus and see him glorified and watch him change lives. That's what matters to us. See, in Ephesians, it says that God's goal is that the church be healthy, growing, and full of love. One of the key verses to us in all of these years has been John 5, 19, <clears throat> where Jesus said, without the Father, I can do nothing. And I only do those things which I see the Father doing. And as the Son of Man, I do likewise. Can I tell you, God has set this whole life up for you and I, and as a church, that we have to stay close to Him. That we can't just come up with our programs and our philosophies and our, our, our you know, grow rich quick schemes and, you know, whatever. No, we've got to be people of his word. I want to share with you how that throughout the word of God, this has been God's plan. We hear this verse a lot, Proverbs 29, 18. In the King James Version, it says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. 
And we can't, I'm a leadership guy. I'm, I'm certified with John Maxwell. I've traveled the world speaking for John Maxwell. And I, leadership is one of the things that I do. I only do two or three things well. That's it. And can I tell you something? The older you get, you will realize you don't do a whole lot of things well. I mean, it's just true. When you're young, you think you do a whole lot good. No, you don't. The older you get, you realize you do two or three things in your strength zone. I'm a communicator, and I'm a leader. Maybe just those two things. Maybe that's it. I try to be an encourager. But, but the Word of God says, in the Amplified, in this same verse, where there is no vision, which means no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. See, it's not about us coming up with our vision and hoping He will bless it. It's us pressing into his heart and mind and saying, what is on your heart? Pastor Juan's going to be going into a series within a week or two. It's going to be because he and Pastor Deidre and people have pressed into the heart of God and said, God, what is on your heart? What matters to you? Can I tell you, in our 40 years, I used to feel so stupid. I'd go to what they used to call seminars. I don't think they even use that term much anymore but i'd go to a seminar and we had to develop a two-year plan and a five-year plan i felt so stupid i would fail i, I would get a failing grade I, I i didn't do that right did i, I didn't know the difference between mission and vision and ah. in the meantime because i'm just childlike enough to trust in god a lot of people that got a's on their two-year plan and five-year plan didn't see God actually do much. See, it's not about our plans. It's about what's in his heart. In the New Living Translation, it says, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. And I love the way the message puts it. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. See, one word from God, Joshua, changes everything. You know, being here this long, here's one of the amazing things. I saw his dad come to know Jesus. I saw his mom come to know Jesus. Married them. Dedicated him as a baby. Pastor Laura, and you'll always be Pastor Laura, watching you come in as a teenager, your brokenness, but your hunger and your passion. You came in younger than your, maybe about the same age or younger than your daughter. Look what God has done. Look what God has done. Yes. Pastor Isaiah said in the first service, you should have died. They gave you enough drugs in that hospital when you were a youngster with pancreatitis. But you should have died. God. I could go right around this room. Steve, you and I will never forget the home visit that I made to you after your dad died. And how we prayed and you asked Jesus in your heart. And I remember when we got done praying, I looked at you. I said, Steve, did you feel that? He said, oh yes. You've never been the same. Never been the same. And here you are with your family on the front row. Go right around this room. Some of
of you see Emma Byler as who she is, but can I tell you about Emma Byler? She came into this church probably around 23 years ago or thereabouts. And oh, all that I saw was the top of her head because she had her head buried into somebody else's shoulder because she was so broken. She wept every service. Watching Jesus, not me, Jesus, do a miracle in her. Crystal, I, I knew you. When you first came in, you were a wounded young lady trying to walk in victory, but really bouncing up against the wall quite a few times. Look what God has done. Look at what God has done. I can go right around this room. These are Jesus' stories. This is what God does. This is not about building, building. Somebody asked me, what is your legacy? It's not buildings. It's not campuses. It's what Pastor Juan said earlier. It's sons and daughters. It's sons and daughters. You want legacy, and you should invest your life in others. This couple right down here, Ken and Pat Goss, heroes, absolute heroes. When, when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ and rewarded, I want to watch. I pray God gives me the privilege of watching their rewards, giving up good jobs, going to Asia, undercover, and serving people and raising up sons and daughters in the faith. See, we get it all mixed up. Abraham, he had no vision to find a promised land. He heard from God who said, leave everything. Come and follow me. Where am I going? I'll show you. Can I tell you? It's the way of God. He does it intentionally. Moses wasn't out looking for a burning bush. In many ways, the burning bush found him. But he turned aside before God spoke to him. Noah didn't have any plans to build an ark. He heard from God. Gave God his yes. David didn't plan to be king. He didn't grow up with, oh, when I get big, I'm going to be a king. No. He was just a man after God's own heart. Simple shepherd boy. God says, I see destiny in you. I want to make you a king. What's in you? What is in you right now? I can't tell you that I know. Here's what I do know. There's more in you than you think. Will there's more in you. Arlene, I remember a young girl came into our church, got pregnant at 14 or 15 and had a little baby boy, had a weight issue and would wear a big old winter coat even in the summer to try to hide her pain. Now that woman is a spiritual mama to many and if you don't have a spiritual mama, you're not going to find a better one than you'd find in Kevin, I remember when you were just a knucklehead. You were such a wonderful mom and dad, and you were just a rebel. 
I think you always had a good heart. You just needed Jesus. Now, I remember that day when you called your mom. And you were in jail. You said, I, I met somebody you know. You're calling from jail. Your mom thinks, who do I know that's in jail? And you met Jesus. You met Jesus. Kevin's one of the finest men I know. He's a, he's a, a man of character. I could go all around this room and tell you story after story after story. And you know what each person did? Look at me right now. They, they didn't earn some degree in spirituality. They didn't fast just the right amount or pray just the right amount or or accomplish this or that. Here's what they did. They said yes. They said yes. This church, not just this church, but when I say Victory Christian Center, has probably the best CFO of any church organization I know. Her name is Vicki Gonzalez. But can I tell you about it, Vicki? who was a broken woman, a single mom, who'd made some choices in life that were, were not good choices. She wasn't evil. She's made some decisions that weren't the best. And she came into a little church up the road, a broken single mom. Found out later she was living over on Hillman Street and selling her plasma just to make it by. I didn't know that at that point. I would have never let her do that. But she gave her yes. As a broken single mom, went to YSU and got her degree and has been on staff now all of these years as our chief financial officer. This is real. This is not playing games. This is not religion. This is not about getting the right schemes and the right this and the right that. This is an amazing God who does not want us to view Him as a formula, but as a Father. He uses messed up people like me. I'm so far from perfect. Only I know patience of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. There's so many times God has used my life in spite of me, not because of me. And if God has ever used your life, you would say the exact same thing. Anybody that thinks that, well, of course God has used me. I'm wonderful. I'm all of this in a bag of chips. Don't worry. He's not going to use your life much because you think it's about you, Bozo. It's not about you. He takes the weak things of the world to confound the wise. Here's how we're going to close. All he wants, listen to me. This isn't complicated. Look at me right now. This is not rocket science. You know, sometimes we want to make it hard so we have an excuse. He makes it simple. You know what he wants? you. He wants your heart. He wants your love. He wants your yes. 
be Mr. Rogers right now and sing you a little song about that, you know? He simply wants you. Your heart, your love, your yes. In a moment, we're going to stand in a moment and our prayer team is going to be up here. They'd love to pray for you. If you do not know Jesus, you need to come to know Jesus. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make, stepping over that line, giving him your heart. You say, well, I'm already a Christian. Then he's waiting for your yes. And he'll do more amazing things than you ever dreamt. So can we stand together right now? Could I ask that the prayer team, could you come forward? nothing quite like being home. And I really mean that. I love to preach around the world. I love to preach about Jesus. I love to preach in every campus. And it's amazing what God has done. But honestly, there's no place like home. And I am so thankful that what is here is healthy and growing and full of love. You're under good pastors and the Riveras and the pastoral team and the amazing leaders and volunteers we have at this campus. They're amazing. The joy of being dad and mom. Honey, would you come? And Pastor Juan, Pastor Deidre, can you come? Just before we speak a blessing over you, I could just cry right now. But they're not, they're tears of great joy. Over the decades, one of the things that, in fact, I figured out I've preached in Coitsville, Ohio, more than 5,000 times in over 40 years. Multiple services, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, Friday nights, I count them up. Over 5,000 times. So I'm still working on this. See, you never arrive. You never arrive. Whatever age you are, I happen to be a healthy 67, and I'm so thankful. And you say, oh, you shouldn't say your age. You know, people think you're old. Listen, if your age bothers you, and I'm around people at times that, like, they go, ah, their birthday coming, and I, and I, I say, you know there's only one option to that birthday not coming, right? I mean, this death thing is still at 100%. Still at 100%. So the option is either you have another birthday or you don't. Choose birthdays. One of the joys that I've had, my wife and I have had for decades, is to look around this room and look you in the eyes and tell you how much we love you. Every time we have done that, we mean it from the deepest part of our being. We love you. God would have simply said, what do you want to do, David? Kathy, what do you want to do? I'm going to tell you. <laughs> we would have never taken the step of faith that we took. As hard as many things can be, having family is one of the great, great privileges. So just before we say the rest, just want to look around this room. Or don't we have a history? It's way, way back. 
worked in temple groups. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. All around this room, miracles, miracles, miracles. Terry, you're an elder now, but I knew you as that young man coming in, running up Mr. Young's town. Disciple with you. I still remember that Sunday night with you and Will and Juanita and sitting up there in that blue building at the altar after Sunday night service and just didn't realize I was discipling those who would be sons. We love you. Would you keep your eyes open? We want to speak a blessing over you. Charlie, I see you, my friend. I love you. And don't you ever give up. Don't you ever give up. I love that smile I'm seeing on your face. I love you. I love you. Love's a wonderful friend. Do you know that? Love's a wonderful friend. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the name which is above every name, may today, may you give to God your heart, your love, and your yes. May you understand that this is not rocket science. What he wants from you is your heart. He wants your love. He wants your yes. May everyone under the sound of my voice today, may you offer that to him. May you begin to see what you've never seen and to hear what you've never heard. May you hear that still, small voice of the Lord and may you say yes to that still, small voice of the Lord. May you be able to leave this building today having a sense of your value, your worth, and your dignity. May you not walk out of this building with anything but your head up high and your shoulders back. May your cup run over with the love of God to the point where there's not only enough love for you, but it is running over and you are giving to others value, worth, and dignity. We bless you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. May you go with the blessing of God in Jesus' name and all God's people said, can you give the Lord praise? If you need prayer, come right now. Come and receive prayer. God bless you.